names of the surahs, primarily they come from the Sahaba and Tabi'un. And a few of them, a very few of them, our Prophet ﷺ named. The majority of the surahs he did not name actually. And rather the Sahaba named it as a marker. They named it as, oh, this is that surah and that surah. And therefore, the names of the surahs are not divinely revealed. The names of the surahs are a matter of ijtihad that our early scholars, they thought about and they gave. And that's why it is very common to have multiple names for the surahs of the Qur'an. Uh, if you look up any book of classical tafsir, uh, you look up uh, uh, Al-Tabari, for example, or even Ibn Kathir, and Surah Al-Baqarah, he will say, has 17 names. Surah Al-Imran has so many names, and he'll mention one name after another. The fact that these surahs have so many names, it indicates what did the Sahaba think about these surahs, and what did the early scholars understand from these surahs. Now, if somebody were to say, okay, if Allah did not reveal these names, and later scholars derive them, why can't I derive a name for a surah? Why would, what would be wrong if I were to look at surah ikhlas and rename it something else? And we say to this person, look, you don't reinvent the wheel. Technically, it's not haram if you were to name the surah something in your mind. But the minute you name the surah something else, somebody will say, which surah is that? You will say, oh, it's surah ikhlas. So what's the purpose of, of doing it then, right? So technically, it's not from Allah Azza wa Jalla, the names of the surahs. But once it's been done, and the Sahaba and Tabi'un did it, and now we have this legacy, and everybody knows Surah Baqarah as Surah Baqarah, Surah Yasin as Surah Yasin. There are other names found in the classical tradition. What's the point of, it's just for knowledge sake that we know. No, there's no point in reinventing, if you like, the wheel, and let it be. So, Surah Al-Ikhlas, we understand the oneness of Allah. Surah Al-Tawheed, we also understand what is Tawheed. Surah Al-Samad, we also understand, and that is, is the only time the word As-Samad occurs in the Quran. This surah is an early Makki surah. And it was revealed because of one or two small questions or incidents that occurred in early Makkah. And this is called the Sabab al-Nuzul, as you know. Of these incidents is that uh, one of the Quraysh said that, who is this Lord of yours that you're asking us to worship? Give us his lineage. Who is he the father of? Who is he the, 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 the child of? Because as you know, the Quraysh assigned Allah to be the father of the angels, right? You know this, right? That they considered the angels to be the banat or the daughters of Allah. And they said, okay, so the, the a'udhu billah, this is their version of, of theology, and they had their own lineage. It is also said one of the chieftains of uh, Najd came, and when he heard that the Prophet has a, a new religion, he said, who is this Lord of yours? Is he made from khashab? from food? Is he made from nuhas, from copper? Tell us so that I know because the idols I worship, I know what I make them from. I make them from copper, I make them from wood, I make them from iron. Who is this Lord of yours? Tell us what is he about? So when these two incidents occurred, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Surah Al-Ikhlas to answer these questions about who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And by the way, it's very interesting, very, uh, our, our, one of our scholars remarks uh, uh, that if you look at the surahs of the Qur'an, Allah azza wa jal has clearly placed the love of two particular surahs in the hearts of every single Muslim, that they recite these two surahs almost in every single salah, and that is Surah Al-Ikhlas and Surah Al-Kawthar, right? MashaAllah, Tabarakallah. Of course, the reasons that they recite them, we know why they recite them, right? But even in this, there is wisdom that out of the whole Quran, the average Muslim who is just struggling to pray, what not, which surah they typically choose? Inna al-Kawthar, qul Allahu ahad. And each one of them deals with one of 
of the fundamental pillars of our faith. Surah Al-Ikhlas deals with La ilaha illallah. Surah Al-Kawthar deals with Muhammadur Rasulullah. And each one of them is its own perfection. In Surah Al-Ikhlas, they said, Allah has a child, and Allah negated it. In Surah Al-Kawthar, they said, the Prophet cannot have a child, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negated and said that, no, he is the best of all creation. In each one of them, they tried to make tanaqqus, they tried to make, to denigrate the status of Allah and the status of the Prophet via the issue of a child. They ascribe a child to Allah. Allah said, no, that is not Allah Azza wa Jal. They did denied a child to the Prophet and Allah said your maqam is better than just being a father so these two surahs are in fact complementary in their theme and their motifs and their size all of these and it is one of the reasons why some of our scholars mentioned that Allah has given a special qabul for these two surahs now this surah of course is also a very blessed surah in Sahih Bukhari we learn that famous narration that a particular Sahabi uh, would always recite Surah Al-Ikhlas in every single rak'ah. And after he recited Fatiha, he would then recite Ikhlas and then move on to the longer Surah. And I joke here that unfortunately we stop at Ikhlas, we never move on to the longer Surah. We also recite Ikhlas in every single rak'ah, but we stop at Ikhlas. As for this Sahabi, he would recite Ikhlas between Fatiha and the longer Surah. And the people got irritated and they said, why are you doing this? And he didn't want to tell them. They complained to the Prophet he said go back and ask him why is he doing this I tell him that I want to know so the man said because this surah it describes Ar-Rahman and I love to read the descriptions of Ar-Rahman so the Prophet when he heard he said go back and tell him his hub of this surah has caused him to enter Jannah. In another version, his hub of this surah has called Allah to love him. So he loved Surah Al-Ikhlas and because of that he entered Jannah. Now again, I semi-joke here, we also love Surah Al-Ikhlas but not for the right, same reasons as he did. Our love for Surah Al-Ikhlas is because it is so small. His love for Surah Al-Ikhlas was because of his profound meanings and that's why we need to understand the meanings of Surah Al-Ikhlas. Also we have in the famous narration also in Sahih Bukhari that a man heard his neighbor reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas many times at night. So he went and he informed the Prophet وسلم, as if he was as if he was saying, my God, my neighbor only recited Surah Al-Ikhlas. Yani he wanted him to recite Baqarah or something like, you know, he only recited Ikhlas. And the Prophet وسلم, said, Wallahi Quran. I swear by Allah, Surah Al-Ikhlas is equivalent to one-third of the Quran. It's not a trivial matter that you think he did something small. He kept on reciting because he loved the Surah and it is equivalent to one-third of the Quran. In the hadith in Sahih Muslim that the Prophet وسلم, asked the Sahaba, who amongst you can recite one-third of the Quran at night? They said, Ya Rasulullah, who amongst us? Ten Jews a night. Oh, every night, who can do that? So he said, let me tell you of a surah. Quran. It is equivalent to, it is equivalent to, our scholars will talk about what they, uh, and we'll just mention it here. What does he mean equivalent to? Obviously, equivalent does not mean that one-third of the Quran is exactly ikhlas. Because if you recite ikhlas three times, you don't get the full Quran. It doesn't mean that equivalent here is that the whole one-third you cut and paste. No. Equivalent either in barakah, equivalent either in the meanings because 
The whole Quran is about Tawheed and Risala and the Prophets and the Akhirah. So Tawheed is one third of the Quran. So equivalent in Barakah or equivalent in profundity or equivalent in benefit. But not equivalent means the whole Quran one third equals Ikhlas. No, because Fatiha is its own, Ayatul Kursi is its own. But the point is to emphasize small surah yet so much blessing. So in this we learn uh, at least two blessings of Surah Al-Ikhlas. Number one, loving Surah Al-Ikhlas causes Allah to love you, causes you to enter Jannah. Number two, Surah Al-Ikhlas is equivalent to one-third of the Qur'an in its barakah and its blessings. That is why our Prophet ﷺ would throughout his day have specific times that he would make it sunnah to recite Surah Al-Ikhlas. For example, in the two rak'ahs of Fajr, he would always recite Ikhlas and Kafirun. And in the two sunnahs of uh, Maghrib as well, he would do the same. And in the two sunnahs after tawaf as well, this would be the same. And in the rak'ah of witr as well, he would typically recite Surah Al-Ikhlas. So Surah Al-Ikhlas was recited by him in many different salawat throughout the day. And that is also something that we should take up. The two rak'ahs before Fajr, the two rak'ahs after Maghrib, uh, doing tawaf and the witr. These are times that our Prophet recited Surah Al-Ikhlas. Jayid, with that long intro, let's jump into the surah. And very briefly, again, as always, time is against us. And as I always give the disclaimer that these are always quick lectures, and if time permits, we can give a much more detailed and nuanced and, and go into a lot of detail about each word and each, you know, uh, grammatical position, and maybe for a later lecture. But for now, we only have a short time. Qul, we already mentioned in, when we came to uh, Surah Al-Falaq and Surah uh, uh, Al-Nas, that Qul here is a mechanism of emphasis, as well, especially because they said, who is your Lord? So they wanted a response. So Allah is saying, this is the response. So Qul is always to emphasize that whatever is going to follow, bold it, italicize it, pay attention to it. Qul Allahu ahad. The huwa here, again, is a little bit advanced. Uh, what, what is the meaning of huwa here? Because you could have said huwa Allahu ahad. And you could have said Qul Allahu ahad. It's also permissible to say linguistically. But you have both the Qul and the huwa. And technically, just to be simplistic, both of them are mechanisms to emphasize what is going to happen. And again, this is something that English speakers, we struggle with when we look at the Arabic Quran because we have lost the mechanism to emphasize. We don't use emphasis words anymore. If we want to emphasize, we change the tone. Or if we're typing a text, we put it in bold or italics or these days with the iPhone, you have fireworks going off when you type something. That's emphasis, right? In classical Arabic, there were a dozen mechanisms of how to emphasize, to make something heard and to pay attention to. And of these mechanisms in the Quran is Qul, of them of course is Inna and Kan, and of them as well is this Huwa, which is uh, the, the technical term is Dhamiru Sha'an, which is basically an emphasis. It doesn't technically, linguistically need to be there. But the Huwa here, it makes you pay attention. It makes you say, what, what is going on here? Qul Allahu Ahad. Indeed, He is Allah, the one who is Ahad. So both of these are emphases. Another interpretation the huwa here is a response when they said who is your Lord? So then Allah is saying this is who the Lord is. Huwa here is the response to their question. Who is your Lord? So then the huwa is the response that my Lord is so and so. So قُلْ huwa Allahu Ahad Now of course the name of Allah we have uh, of course it is the most, I've given lecture right here about the name of Allah and it is of course the primary name of Allah uh, our creator and it occurs over 3,000 times in the Quran and there are at least 10 opinions about the ishtiqaq or the, the root word of this and the majority one uh, which is by uh, uh, Al-Farra and also Ibn Abbas himself said this that the name Allah comes from Al-Ilah the one who is worthy to be worshipped so the meaning of this name 
is the one who has worthiness to be worshipped. And it is the most comprehensive name of Allah because only the one who has all perfect attributes is worthy of worship. So when you say the name Allah, you automatically imply he is al-Sami' al-Basir al-Qawi al-Aziz al-Jabbar. He is the one who is al-Rahman al-Rahim al-Malik al-Quddus because he is Allah. So he is Allah. This means all of the attributes belong to him. That is why he is Allah, i.e. worthy of worship. So Allah, who is Allah? He is Ahad. And Ahad is, of course, we all know what the meaning of Ahad is. Even the non-Arabs that understand, when Bilal was being tortured, what did he say? Ahadun Ahad, Ahadun Ahad. Ahad, of course, means one. But what is Ahad versus Wahid? Because Wahid is also of the names of Allah. And the Quran mentions, Huwa al-Wahidul Qahar. He is the Wahid and he is the Ahad. What is the difference between the two? Again, a lot of, of interpretations. The simple one that we'll mention for today, Al-Wahid is the one who is one in his essence. And, uh, sorry, uh, one in his that, one in his uh, being. And Ahad is the one who is unique in his attributes and his names. So the Wahid, he is one in being. The Ahad, he is one in who he is, in his attributes. So Wahid and Ahad, they have similar meanings. Even though Ahad is more specific than Wahid. Wahid is broader. As well, uh, for the Arabs in the audience, Al-Wahidu fil-Ithbat wal-Ahadu fil-Nafi. Ra'aytu wahidan lam ara ahadan. So, Wahid is for the Ithbat and the uh, Ahad is for the... The nafi, and as the as people who know Arabic language know, that nafi is ablaghu min al-ithbat when it comes to praising. So, qul huwallahu ahad. Say he is Allah, and that's why a lot of English translations translate ahad as unique, which is a semi-valid translation. Ahad means there is none like unto him. He is one, and there is none like unto him. Qul huwallahu ahad. Allahu as-samad. Allah is as-samad. And again, uh, the, the fact that the name of Allah reoccurs because you could have said and like many names occur twice in the Quran but to emphasize these two names the name of Allah is mentioned before each of them and this brings about an emphasis and this is the only time in the whole Quran that the name Ahad and the name Samad occurs and so each one of them occurs after the name of Allah the Lafz Jalala Allah is Ahad and Allah is Samad and if Allah had wanted to, he could have just said Al-Ahadu Samad as he did in so many other names and that would be legitimate but the emphasis is not given the same way when you have Allah is the Ahad and Allah is the Samad. Even in the English translation, we understand these two names are being emphasized over here. What is the meaning of Samad? You have three or four opinions. Some of them, they sound a bit bizarre to our ears, but linguistically, they make sense. Of the classical opinions of a Samad, and if you look at, uh, for example, Qatada, he said this in Tabari. Uh, a Samad, he said, the being that has no inner vacuum there's nothing inside of this being and this the reason why a samad is used is when that chieftain of najd came and he said is your lord made out of copper is your lord made out of wood what is this idol so a samad no there is nothing inside there is nothing there is no entity there is no creation that you are worshiping that's one interpretation another interpretation a samad is the one who does not eat or drink Another interpretation, as-samad is the one who has perfected all aspects of 
uh, leadership. And the final and really the, the correct interpretation, all of these are valid, but there's a stronger one. And that is, As-Samad is the one whom the hearts turn to, Yasmudu Al-Qalb, whom the hearts turn to at times of distress. And this is the, the, the precise meaning of As-Samad. The Samad is the one when you're worried, when you are in a severe situation, when you see death or drowning or sickness, when your loved ones are about to die, what happens? Even the kafir discovers Allah at that time. Even the atheist, the mul'id, at that point in time says, Oh God, save me. This is the samad. The samad, the one you turn to when all avenues are cut off. Your heart automatically turns to Allah. Now, the one whom you turn to is all perfect. So he will not eat or drink. There is no internal organs. That's, that's what Khatada said, no internal organs. This is correct. Because the one you turn to is not makhluk. He is khaliq. So the technical meaning of a samad, the one whom the hearts turn to at times of distress. Now, ahad and samad. I gave a lecture uh, many months ago, actually, before I came, when I was uh, still yani, coming back and forth from, from Memphis. If you remember, those of you that attended, we talked very briefly about the names of Allah and the categories of the names. Inshallah, maybe one day I'll give a longer lecture. But of the categories of the names of Allah uh, is a genre of names where each of the two names, it occurs together in the Quran and each one indicates a perfection, the first of them, the internal perfection of Allah, the second, the perfection of Allah between him and the makhluqat. So the relationship of Allah and the makhluq is a second name. And Allah in himself is the first name. For example, Al-Hay Al-Qayyum is the most common example. Al-Hay goes back to Allah, his life is perfect. Al-Qayyum, Allah's relationship with the makhluq, he sustains the makhluqat. Another example is, Al-Ghani Al-Kareem. Allah is Al-Ghani, He needs no one. Allah is Al-Kareem, everyone needs Him. You understand? Did you understand this point? That there are many examples in the Quran of two names of Allah that occur together. The first of these two names, it goes back to the perfection of Allah directly. The second of these two names, it goes back to the perfection of the relationship between Allah with the makhluq. And there are, as we said, many examples. The most famous one is Al-Hay Al-Qayyum and also Al-Ghani Al-Kareem. This is another example, Al-Ahad Al-Samad. Al-Ahad, Allah is perfect in His own that. Allah is unique in His own sifat. Al-Samad, the whole makhluqat have to go back to Allah. That's the, cre the, the relationship of the makhluq with the khaliq, that is Al-Samad. So, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدْ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ Now, some of the qiraat, they have lam yalid and then a verse and a lam yulad another verse. So we have Surah Al-Ikhlas uh, to be four, uh, four ayat. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ عَدْ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدْ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُلَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُلُوا كُفُوًا أَحَدْ In the qiraat of some of the other uh, 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 scholars of qiraat, as all of you should know, there are ten mutawatir qiraat that are recited to this day and the advanced students uh, study them. Uh, and in once upon a time, there were even more just like the madahib. And once upon a time, each region has its own qiraat, just like the madahib, each region has its own. And these qiraat are now only studied in advanced universities now. And sometimes you hear if you're Abdul Basit, it, right? Sometimes you go into these qiraat and something sounds different. These are the qiraat. And they are interesting for advanced students and for tafsir. And the qiraat have many differences. They go back obviously to early Islam. And uh, they also have different 
ayat endings as well. And this is a more advanced topic. Where did the ayat endings come from? Once again, the Sahaba, they would listen to the Prophet wasallam. Wherever he stopped, they would make an ayah. But sometimes, as you know, even the Qari when he's reciting, sometimes two ayat are done and sometimes the stop is done in the middle. So sometimes we have the same ayah of the Quran. In one qira'ah, it is one ayah. In another qira'ah, it goes into two ayat. So in the qira'ah of the people of Mecca, and of the people of Syria. In fact, we have Qulhu Allahu Ahad, Ayah. Allahu Samad, Ayah. Lam Yalid, Ayah. Walam Yulad, Ayah. Walam Yakulukuf Wanahad, Ayah. Right? So that's five. And in our Hafsan Asim, our Qira'a, by the way, is Kufa. It's from Kufa. Our Qira'a is from the Kufa. And once upon a time, it was with the people of Kufa recited. And Allah willed that this Kufa and Qira'a become the global Qira'a that 90% of the world recites. So in our Qira'a, there's four. Just, just FYI for information's sake. So, This is, of course, a negation of the questions that the Quraysh and others said. Who is this Lord that you are worshipping? Insibhu lana, give him, give us his nasab. Who are his ancestors? Who are his children? So Allah negates. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. And we all understand this. Lam yalid, he does not have any children. Allah says in the Quran, Anna yakunu lahu waladun wa lam takullahu sahiba. How can he have a child when there is no companion that he can have? Allah Azza wa Jal is unique. In order to have a child, you need two. There is no second of Allah. There is no companion of Allah. You're talking about a child. There's not even a second. There's not even a companion. It doesn't exist because he is Ahad. Lam Yalid. And of course, we know in the Quran, they said Allah has a Rahman has a child. They have brought forth a monstrosity. Idda, it is a blatant lie that should cause our blood to curl. Idda is the most blatant and the most insulting lie. They, they have brought forth this monstrosity. The heavens themselves are about to crumble. The mountains are going to collapse. How dare they ascribe a child to Allah? That they have said that Allah Azza wa Jal has a child. It is not befitting the Jalal of Allah that He have a child. And everyone in the heavens and earth, they come to Allah as a makhluq, as a created object that worships Allah. Allah is Ahad, Lam Yalid. He does not have a child. And neither was he born of another. He is the awwal and the akhir. He is the one that has no beginning, and no ending, he is the first and the last. And once again, Again, we all in tafsir, you know, you always have to bring in Arabic because Arabic uh, grammar and what, because obviously the language of the Quran is Arabic. So, all we always sometimes we have to say things that indicate a little bit of what is called balagha and nahu and sarf, all of these things, because that's how you interpret the Quran. So, uh, technically speaking, here, uh, this is how a normal sentence would occur in a, most other texts if you were to just have a text like this. The standard way. 
And there is no one that is similar unto him. But in the Quran, the word order is reversed. reversed. And any time there is a change in order in the norm, it's for a reason, obviously, right? It's for a reason of eloquence. And of course, the reason here, so uh, uh, you understand, obviously, uh, the ahad here is actually the subject. And Allah puts the subject at the end. And the kufuan ahad is, of course, uh, the, what should come at the end, and he puts it in the front. Why? Because what is being emphasized is not the subject here, but rather that there is none like the subject. So the emphasis, kufuan ahad, is being put in the beginning. Walam kufuan ahad, right? So uh, the, the fact that there is none that is similar to Allah. There is none similar unto Him. So what is being negated is put at the beginning because that's the point of the verse. There is none. Kuf is to be equivalent to. Kuf is to be similar to. And so Allah is saying, there is none that is even similar unto Him. And of course, negation implies, as you know, when you negate, uh, this is the height of perfection when it comes to uh, negating any evil or whatnot. In the Arabic language, you have ithbat and nafi. And when you have nafi, when you have the negation, this implies the perfection of the opposite. When you say there is none similar unto Him, this goes back to the name of Allah, Al-Ahad. He is unique and perfect. So the name Ahad and Lam Ahad are exact opposites, but they're saying the same thing. The first is affirmation, Ahad, and the second is negation. There is nothing similar to him. And the affirmation and negation, when they come together, that is the perfection. Like in our kalima, La ilaha illallah. We are negating ilah, then we are affirming Allah. The negation and affirmation come together is perfection. Surah Al-Ikhlas demonstrates this. And this is our short tafsir of Surah Al-Ikhlas. And the takeaway point, this Surah explains to us who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It will cause us to understand Allah's names Al-Ahad, Allah's names As-Samad, the eternal nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It will cause us to appreciate Allah and then to worship Allah because the meaning of As-Samad, the one whom we turn to for our needs and it is a surah that is blessed so much so that it is equivalent to one third of the Quran in blessing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cause us to love the surah so that our love for the surah can cause us to enter Jannah and we'll continue tomorrow inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi